This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. Angrez apna lagan aur news laundry apna hafta kabhi nahi chhodte. We are back with another episode of Hafta which we will not give up on even though today we have the media rumble kicking off. Those of you who have been seeing our notifications, this is the fourth edition of the media rumble and uh, this time it's digital. Those of you who've attended the last few I'm sure would miss it. I know I miss the hustle and bustle where we have almost we last year we had over 100 speakers but this year it's online. Hopefully we will get back as a physical event where we can discuss technology, journalism, the technology related to journalism, business models, policy etc. But we are here recording the hafta on Thursday morning at 10 a.m. and while Manisha is busy with the media rumble and Mehraj is away on the panel today we have Ramant Kripal, hi sir. Hi. Revati Lal, hi Revati. Hi. And Abantika Ghosh. Hi. So I shall just introduce our two guest panelists today. Uh, Abantika is a print journalist. She has been working as a journalist for 17 years and among the biggest English dailies including the Times of India and the Indian Express. She is right now at the print which is a digital platform and she is interested in health policy public health and the cross section of health and politics meanwhile revati has worked uh, with a bunch of people including me hi rev hi and uh, <laughs> and she has uh, written the anatomy of hate uh, it's a book a uh, very interesting book where she kind of dissects the psychology of those who participated in the riots uh, right now she lives and works in shamli in western up she set up a rights based NGO program called Kalandar and you're still writing and you haven't abandoned journalism altogether, Revati? Not at all. The two segue into each other. Okay, great. Before I get into a discussion with our wonderful panelists, here are the headlines which I shall be announcing today. Hundreds of key Indian bureaucrats and officials part of a Chinese surveillance data apart from tens of thousands of other Indians including some journalists and apparently even a, a ZTV uh, editor, <laughs> Mr. What's his name? Sudhir Chaudhary was part of that. I really don't know how significant or important this is. If Indian Express put it on its front page, I'm guessing it is quite important. But I have heard others say that this kind of data mining is not a big deal. Then 17,000 page charge sheet filed against 15 for the Delhi riots conspiracy. Omar Khalid has been arrested under the UAPA, which is an anti-terror law. Uh, we shall discuss this in some detail. Then our values don't recognize same-sex marriage, the central government tells us, Delhi High Court. This came up. during a conversation where a bench comprising justice dn patel and justice deepak jalan replied that they need to examine the petition with a normal mind and the petition is about same sex marriage so um, i'm wondering how many of you guys listening to this would actually um, think it is part of our cultural milieu and would be acceptable then the police allegedly beat up two photojournalists in pulwama for taking pictures during a gunfight The attack on journalism continues all over the country, especially so in the former state of Jammu and Kashmir. Then India and China fired 100-200 warning shots at Pangong in early September. This has come out recently in several reports. And um, this apparently is what led to the dif- situation being diffused and now the talks that are on. But shots were fired. Purpose is to vilify Muslims. The Supreme Court restrained Sudarshan TV from telecasting the UPSC Jihad show. In case you're wondering what is this UPSC Jihad show, We shall discuss this with the panel in some detail. Tata's win the contract to build the new parliament building for 861.9 crores at a time when our healthcare infrastructure is crumbling. Prime Minister Modi's vanity project of redoing Latians is starting off in spite of 
the many reports and um, you know voices of criticism nothing can stop that juggernaut so you will have an all new latians i think we'll call it modi's delhi then ex facebook employee claims to working towards taking down vast network working to influence the 2020 delhi election this is a report in the huffington post where this ex facebook employee has spoken about several cases i think almost 10 cases of elections around the world in different countries and how facebook influenced those elections and did not act in very ethical ways then the pakistan nsa displays a map of jammu and kashmir as part of pakistan this happened at the shanghai cooperation organization meeting on tuesday and of course it was a virtual meeting but the pakistan representative had a map with jnk and our nsa doval walked out of that meeting then the government says it has no data of migrant workers deaths loss of jobs later clarifies after a backlash that oh no we you have some kind of data i mean you must see what's happening in parliament in fact i highly recommend our colleague meghnads uh, he's done one open session on youtube already on what to expect from parliament he will be doing a few closed sessions which will be for subscribers only so do subscribe to news laundry and be part of those sessions you will find them most interesting and entertainment entertaining just like meghnath can make it but on a subject that is very important and and uh, relevant to you and the show is called sansad watch so the first episode of sansad watch was available to all i think it's still up on our website you can check it out on our youtube channel but all further sansad watches at least most of them will be for subscribers only then the rajya sabha is to hold its first debate on covid-19 let's see how that goes the serum institute's adar punawala says that there won't be enough covid-19 vaccines till 2024 for everybody around the world or he said around india but he's basically echoing what certain doctors and healthcare professionals overseas have said that just because it comes out doesn't mean everyone's going to get it it'll take till 2024 for everyone in the world to get it and that is because of cold chain supply it has to be kept at very low temperatures so i mean people in metros i guess it'll be easily accessible to but people who are living in far flung areas uh, may not get it you know within the year of it but let's see that may change then russia says it will sell sputnik 5 vaccine to dr reddy's labs who is going to carry out tests along with them then the babri masjid demolition verdict will be out on september 30th former deputy prime minister advani and others accused have been asked to appear in court i wonder what will happen there then a 16 member committee has been formed to study ancient indian culture this is an article that i highly recommend you read the government has formed an expert committee for conduct- conducting a study on the origin and evolution of indian culture dating back around 12000 years so this should be an interesting study now let's get into discussions with our wonderful panel but first i have a few announcements as you know haftas are going to be free until we launch the new website and uh, our new website's test version is done and the test version will keep getting tweaked i think a f- couple of hundred of you subscribers will be getting links because you want to get your feedback on the test what you think what we can change and improve and it is going to be an ongoing project it will not all the features that will be recommended won't be you know changed together so we really want to have this interactive you know feedback session with all of you so that before we launch we can at least tweak some of the important things that all of you kind of suggest to us and then going forward all other suggestions will be taken in and we will keep improving the website and once we feel the website is at an optimum kind of design and and functionality then uh, that same website design and functionality will be replicated in the app which will probably come 3 months or so after the website has been launched and approved by all of you so thank you subscribers those of you who are going to be giving us recommendations some of you who have already got the links thank you for your inputs some of you will be getting links over the next week 
I look forward to your inputs and what we can do to improve the experience. And then, of course, the hafta will be pulled back behind the paywall and you'll have to pay for it like we used to in the good old days. Many of you have continued to pay News Laundry and subscribe and contribute to independent media, even though many of our usually paywalled content is available for free. Thank you for that. That means you believe in the spirit of funding journalism and not necessarily as a transaction that we pay you. So you give us podcasts. But for those of you who still look at it as a transaction, that I have to give you something uh, which is only exclusive to you and that you will pay for. The Hafta and some of our other content will be behind the paywall once the new website is up. But don't stop subscribing just because it's free. I recommend five people in your social circle, your family, your friends to listen to Hafta, to check out newslaundry.com and to pay to keep news free. So go to newslaundry.com, click on the top right-hand corner and support independent media and journalism and trust me, it has never been as important as it is now. Not in my lifetime, at least. Moving into our wonderful guests. I'd like to start first with, you know, the health-related issues. Um, Abantika, I read this morning in the newspaper. One is, of course, there was a report a couple of days ago that in May, you know, by that extrapolation logic of testing people with antibodies, there were about 6.4 million people with the COVID uh, back, uh, with the COVID virus back in May. And today's front page in the Times of India says that two out of three people in Delhi have antibodies. That means 66% of us here have been infected. Is, is that a, a fair uh, assumption, do you think? Actually, I think the figure would be 33%. Uh, that's the Indian Express, uh, if, if I remember the number correctly. The 66 okay. is actually, just a second, I have it in front of me. Yeah, just check. Is it two out of three or one out of three? I, I thought So it's... because it says that nearly 33% of Delhiites have in all likelihood developed COVID-19 antibodies. Okay. 66% would actually have been a figure I would have been happy about. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. So 33% not so happy. So that's actually, that's something we were discussing uh, yesterday that first you want, you want cases not to go up. And then every time a zero survey comes, you're like, oh, just this many. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a, we're caught in this very strange situation where, because we don't have anything else, we are essentially looking at this as some kind of insurance. Right. But, but uh, yeah, you're right. I just saw it says one out of three. Yeah. And in July, the headline said one out of four in Delhi. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, just what does this really mean? Does does that mean that one, it's safer to go about work the way, you know, lockdowns have been opened? Is it not safer? And also, could you weigh in on the other headline in the paper on this uh, Russian vaccine, that 100 million vials of which we have pre-booked or whatever it is. We've advanced booking. Right. So first, on the Cero survey, See, a couple of days back when Dr. Harshvardhan spoke on COVID in Parliament, he had mentioned that 92% of Indian patients have had a mild disease. Now, here's the issue. And on Tuesday, Dr. Balram Bhargav, who's the Secretary, Department of Health Research, he said that yes, reinfections are possible. We are getting reports, but both times it's been mild. So... Mm. That basically means that the, this, this kind of assurance that we are looking for from the Cero survey that okay, 33% people are safe is kind of iffy because then we don't know how long these people have, will have antibodies. So that's one thing. Secondly, when Dr. Harshvardhan says 92% people have had mild disease, 
that basically means if 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 there is a link between having a mild disease and getting infected again as dr balram bhargava seemed to suggest this tuesday at the covid briefing then again that's not so good that said however i think one of the things that we are looking at in this also and this is something the government is not willing to admit is that we have actually missed this many infections you know in may we had 86000 cases mm-hmm. and at that point of time if you had 64 lakh infections when we asked it was the the question was basically sort of deflected but it is a fact that had you by some miracle been able to test these 64 lakh people in may you would have had those many people test positive right you missed them so that means the claims that we have managed to control it then would actually not be accurate at all no one also if you have a projection to support your claim that lockdown saved lives then just to test how good you, those projections are why don't you tell us now what is going to be the size of the pandemic 3 months from now that's a fair test right right if you're applying it in hindsight and saying we saved 29 lakh cases or whatever then you tell us that in 3 months we'll be at x lakh or x crore whatever it is and that will test your hypothesis that right. this projection works it's very simple you're not giving us those figures but you're sort of cherry picking there are also projections which actually gave these kinds of figures for today so today we are at 51 lakh there are projections which gave 51 lakh what did you do to prevent that so revithi you've been in you know the rural heartland as opposed to urban areas for a month when in the first lockdown i had to drive to get books for my niece to her school which was in rohtak so as i drove you know from delhi to rohtak all the villages on the way there was no social distancing no one was wearing masks everyone was hanging out but at the same time you know some of our colleagues in office who had gone back to their villages you know our logistics and our the gentleman who drives us around they said that in their villages you know there are no cases everyone's chilling out it's worse here in their jhuggies and in their uh, bastis what do you see around is there an alarm is there a panic and are there cases of people chilling it's very strange because i now have two hats as someone who heads uh, an ngo and as someone who also is a journalist so i see that and the journalist in me is aware of all the stories and all the conversations around uh, coronavirus but uh, when i'm situated in western up and we came in uh, in may and june to actually administer two rounds of covid relief because people here were starving and then we uh, set up at the end of july early august and um, ever since then uh, every time someone talks about covid i have to remind myself that there is actually a pandemic because in shamli in western uttar pradesh where i am currently located uh, there is just like everybody including the police who's just making arrests of people uh, you know in order to collect money and and, and sometimes the allegations are that there are bribes that there are bribes obviously happening under the table but apart from correct chalaning people the cops themselves are not wearing masks and you know there's another uh, side to the story which is actually more than just farcical it's actually quite telling of the covid story as a whole the politics of covid and also the spread of the disease which is that when people are living in you know six or seven people to a room uh, it's very uh, you know the the word social distancing doesn't mean anything right also if you then as someone who is working with such people is is insisting that because you are present in their midst that they should suddenly wear masks it becomes like a costume and it becomes like a class and caste divide 
because you're telling them please adhere to my norms because otherwise I don't feel safe. But actually, just being in the vicinity of six or seven people in a room is subjecting you to as much infection as them in any case. As far as statistics goes, there is, uh, you know, UP doesn't appear on the top 10 data, for instance, of the top 10 states in the country, hasn't appeared on that data for the last three or four months. And except for at the beginning when, uh, you know, the whole uh, Marka story was spun by the government and by its allies and uh, made into, made out as if Muslims were a super spreader. So that was used to say, to trace people who'd come to Shamli, to Agra, to uh, Merat from these areas and had, had supposedly spread the virus uh, as the super spreader story. After that, there has been no talk of UP in the top 10 or even cities in Uttar Pradesh or districts in Uttar Pradesh as it, on being on the top 10. And there's a reason for this. A cop told me this when I was doing the story on police reform some years ago. He said, you know, in cases where you find crime statistics high is where people are recording data. And those are usually places that are safer. So he said, if you, if you want to know as a woman whether you should feel safe or unsafe in an area, just go by your gut. If you feel safe in an area, that means that it is likely to be safe. Statistics should almost be read in reverse. So if I was to apply that here, and it makes sense to apply that here, at least to where I am at in Uttar Pradesh, then the fact that uh, the statistics and moral has been static and absent does not tell me at all whether people are infected or not infected. Most people here are too poor to go and get tested. I had a fever two, three weeks ago, and I went to the district collection center to have myself tested. The rapid test, they say, we will only tell you the results verbally. We will not write it down at the chief medical officer's office. So I said, why? They said, no, 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 we'll just tell you verbally. And then the, the actual um, test is sent, the sample is sent to Meerut, which is uh, two and a half hours away. Because there is no, uh, you know, testing center in, in Shamli. And across Uttar Pradesh, which is one of the most densely populated states in the country, there are very few testing centers. So people are having to take vials in thermocol boxes, which are not refrigerated. So how right. are they being carried there? What is the uh, efficacy of the sample that's being taken? Why are the rapid tests not being recorded uh, on paper and being told to you verbally? These are all questions we don't have answers to. Right. Raman, so you want to come in on this? Uh, what? Yeah, no. In fact, uh, there is an incident. Uh, in Noida, there is a Sector 82. There is a colony called Defense, Defense Quarters. So last week, uh, you know, these authorities, some people from the authorities, they came and they conducted this RT-PCR test, hmm. you know, of all these people. So a friend of mine stays there. So he also got it done. But his result did not come. So he just went to the hospital to collect that, uh, you know, his result. And he said that they didn't even look at. I said, Ki, this is my uh, number. So they didn't even look at it. They just gave him the negative report. So and, and this guy was interested in his report. Not so much for the positive or negative. Oh, hmm. He was interested because he was going to the hills. He wanted that. Uh, he wanted. Thing. He wanted that uh, thing, and he also wanted hmm. uh, that the date that they had written on that of yesterday. I mean, the, right, right. But the so test happened. Forty-eight hours. Uh, so in UP, there's a. I think what there's no maybe, sense to any. There's no sense. It's just it random. Does, it, yeah, it's just so to, random. Just to add to that one thing, hmm. UP actually is among the highest testing states in the country. I I was just looking at the data yesterday. They did one lakh fifty-four thousand tests. And you know how many cases they reported? 6,229, <laughs> which is 
ridiculously low. Absolutely. Ridiculous. Yeah. So so that, yeah, that's that's way low positive vision. And my friend right? also told that there are many people. There were agents over there. Hmm. So if you pay five hundred, you will get the, yeah, report. the report to go to the hills. In I case, mean, in case those of you who are not from the north part of India, wondering if you want to go into Uttarakhand or Himachal Pradesh, you have to get a negative report that is. Taken just forty-eight hours earlier, ah, uh, but I guess hours. seventy-two hours earlier. So that that is why many people are going to the hills. Want this report? So, okay, uh, uh, Mantika, just tell me regarding those vaccines. Now, much fun was made that Russia has given a vaccine, and you know what happens when you take any medication from Russia. You know, <laughs> so uh, the 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 poisoning of Putin, which has been made famous all over the world. But after that, the Lancet, uh, I mean, representative, I, I saw that interview on CNN, uh, mm-hmm. kind of endorsed Russia's uh, test, saying that it is sound and it is, uh, you know, statistically accurate. So uh, you've been covering health. Is that the case? Why is there no such excitement all over the world? Then, ki bhai ho gayi vaccine. Perhaps one one reason is that there are these all these U.S. scientists who are actually saying these are copy pastes. The data is copy paste. They've written an open letter saying that you know this this is they've they've used actually used very strong words you know about the vaccine about actually about the data not so much about the vaccine vaccine we don't know what it is but um, they have basically said that this data looks like a, a sort of a copy paste job. Uh, so I, I'm I'm just looking at that uh, letter and it says that. There are possible duplications. The odds of this arising by coincidence are extremely small. So very strong words uh, there. Also, I think India seems to be, I mean, one of very few countries who are who's who's really excited about the vaccine. But the good thing is that in our, they'll have to do a phase three trial in India uh, before it is approved. So I'm sure we will look at it. I'm hoping we look at it better, and we will not sort of do the kind of things that made us say we will have a vaccine by august 15 so, so, so it, it won't be that. it won't be purchased and marketed there's going to be a testing phase between the two even in india yes yes I that's see. a regulatory requirement you have to have a phase 3 trial here in india before you can do anything with the vaccine also this uh, this this particular tie up that has happened with dr reddy so dr reddy is not exactly a vaccine man- so vaccine manufacturing company so what all they'll do is they'll supply they'll distribute they'll take the they'll do the trials but the actual manufacturing who will do is not yet clear they're, they're in talks with several see, so companies so reddy's labs will do the trials not manufacturing or sales no they will do the distribution and trials not the manufacturing actual manufacturing in india that has to be still tied up i see uh-huh. now just uh, let me see uh, what the, our panel thinks revithi would you take that vaccine the russian vaccine if it was in the market next month I don't mind. I'm quite trigger happy when it comes to medicine. But the larger uh, uh, point, I think, the politics around uh, what what is okay, what is acceptable, is a vaccine from Oxford more acceptable than one from Russia? Uh, those are questions actually that are more interesting for me as a journalist. We get into the politics of what countries and their image uh, is okay to sell into the world, and therefore the pharmaceutical companies attached to that and the politics around it. and stemming from that our own domestic politics and how convenient it is for governments authoritarian governments like ours to really have a, a pandemic like this with which they can say just about anything and no questions are asked not that many questions are being asked even otherwise including once our parliament opens but um, they they are being allowed to get away with anything they're browbeating us into saying if you step out here we will do this 
we will tell you when to move out of your house we will tell you where to walk where not to walk it's the best it's the best thing ever in uh, if i if i was in um, looking at it from the point of view of the power makers in this country right now i would say let the pandemic be yeah nothing could be better exactly i, th- I think just what's happened in delhi which i'll be discussing later on in the podcast uh, with the kind of the charge sheets the the cases against people i mean i'm shocked the brazenness i mean they're not even pretending to kind of be clever about it copy paste of evidences anyway uh, but I- i'll come to that later uh, but uh, how about you abantika would you take the vaccine if it were available next month in the market the russian one not next month no no way if it's available next month i'm not taking it any not just the russian one oxford shocks or koi bhi next month agar koi bhi available hai i'm not taking it there has to be a time period okay but but you you don't have a problem with the russian vaccine it's not chinese goods mat khareedna you don't have that i mean that's not a problem for you right no and also frankly you know i've been out it's it's a little problematic to say this but i've been out the entire lockdown i've been reporting i've been out on i mean i've been meeting people who've tested positive later and all of that but i think for me the best vaccine that has worked not even masks is washing hands so i would probably not even queue up like early on for any vaccine even later on raman sir would you take it i'll go by the doctor's advice when i, I have see. nothing to say in this <laughs> well veer sangvi on his twitter is not being very complimentary to doctors these days i'm i'm, I'm wondering if he's had a bad experience with a doctor <laughs> he thinks just because you have a degree doesn't mean anyway uh, there was basically i think pallavi ghosh the journalist from ibn uh-huh. or someone had tweeted this thing um something uh, like your google's thank you for your google search yeah, don't confuse a... my medical degree with google yeah don't confuse my medical degree with your google search 5 minutes ago and Veer commented on that. Well, my Google search was ten minutes back. Your degree was fifteen years ago. <laughs> Have you kept pace? Like I, I thought that was very uncharacteristic of him trying to discredit. And then that went on, and, and other people joined. Like that's happened on Twitter. Before we move on, I have a few letters from subscribers. And thank you, subscribers. Almost all of you, except two or three, have kept your word limited word limit to what I had said, so we can have more letters included. And also the news laundry and teamwork arts partnership that created the Media Rumble kicks off today while we're recording, which is the Thursday. But do check out the Media Rumble. There's several very interesting sessions which you will definitely enjoy. Go to the Media Rumble dot com and see the schedule. So Shankar Chandrasekhar is the subscriber who has given some feedback. He says, "This is Shankar writing from Amsterdam. I'm writing to you not as a freeloader, which I ashamedly was over the last few weeks." and even before that where i was just listening to the chota hafta and raving about it but doing nothing to keep news free but a subscriber to both the disruptor and nl sena bishop options thank you so much shankar it is very sweet of you i am so incredibly thankful to the work that you all do as someone who has been living abroad for a very long time i found it increasingly difficult to find a constant source of sane and brilliant reporting i finally stumbled upon you guys during march of this year which is why you are reading this out loud and and shankar goes on to say we should definitely shame him for being late to this game no shankar i have no intention of shaming you the fact that you have realized that it's important to pay to keep news free is good enough for me i have one question while i love the fact that you read out the opinions of many of your subscribers some of the most brilliantly articulated mails have you considered dividing it into segments perhaps one where the panelists guest journalists share their thoughts on the event of the past week and the second focusing on subscriber emails I don't know if this question has been posed before but again I have nothing to add but appreciation keep doing great work and I'll do my best to spread your work to my Arnab loving family PS Manisha is fantastic 
So thanks, Shankar. Oh, I have actually once thought about in the past. I, I don't know if we actually did it. I think we did do it, where I read out all the mails as a separate addendum to the hafta at the end, but it didn't work. I think people wanted integrated into the conversation because otherwise, many people will not listen to it as a separate like kind of segment. So that's why I just integrate the mails into the overall conversation so that I can also get you know the views of the panel on those sometimes. This wonderful subscriber doesn't want me to read out her name. She says, I'm a finally undergraduate student, been an on and off subscriber to News Laundry. I've decided to support News Laundry again with whatever resources I can. Abhinandan is my favorite. His views help me to stress myself way beyond my capacity and to think also and ponder upon the complexity of an issue. I was listening to old haftas and found Manisha and Maharaj's views intriguing, which prompted me to subscribe to NL despite the paucity of resources currently. I don't believe in monkey balancing. I've seen people in the comment section who abuse in day in and day out when you talk in support of minorities or question Hindutvadis, damning you as a bunch of left liberal jabbering against tolerant Hindus and their contention is that Hindus have been quite tolerant all these years as opposed to Muslims, pointing at the conditions of minorities in Islamic countries and then having some sort of moral superiority that Hindus have let Muslims flourish in this country for so long and someday they'll take over the Hindu population leading to a disaster. It would be better if you bring in some more sane voices on this panel, like Anand Vardhan. His pieces have been great insights. Thank you so much. Um, I don't want to name you, but you know, you're a student, you're young, and you're still paying with your meager resources to keep news and journalism independent. That is, that is really wonderful. And I hope others of your age are as responsible. In fact, I hope many of your uncle and aunties are more responsible because people of my age still end up not paying for news and then whine about it all their lives. And this email is from Sagar Prasad. He says, Hi Abhinandan, while listening to the emails you read in Hafta 292, I got a sense that many of your listeners believe that issues related to Islam and Muslims don't get debated, discussed or criticized enough. I think these people should view YouTube videos by Abdullah Samir or Abdullah Gondal. There are links to the few YouTube videos in this mail which could help change that impression. One may not agree with the views in these videos, but I want to make a point that Islam and Muslims do get criticized often on social media. But we rarely notice stuff like this. Regards, Sagar. Thank you, Sagar. We shall put this email in the email section and these links are available there. We have an article with all these mails that go out. Well, not all, but many of them. And you can check out Sagar's links on that article. Now, okay, I just want to move on from COVID to something that impacts all of us. And I'd like at least three of you are still journalists in some form of the other. I used to be one. Ravansav, let me start with you. Let me put the context that, you know, like in the headlines we had shared, that Suresh Chavanke, this hateful gubbara mm. who runs this hate campaign on his hot air program, it's just vile and disgusting. Uh, he, he ran the promo ki, Ab bindas bol, ab hoga, whatever, UPSC jihad, hum j- kaise jamia ke jihadi. Uh. And uh, some kids from jamia, you know, went to the court and said mm. this should be stopped. The court said, yeah, high court, Delhi high court said stopped. Central INV Ministry, which is so wonderful, the INV Ministry that had banned the documentary that NTV, they had banned uh, Revati, the one on the the rape case, right? On on uh, yeah, Jyoti, yeah. Yeah. Jyoti yeah. Singh's rape case, who's yes. also called Nirbhaya. The, the, the channel for one. Yeah, the channel for documentary. So the, they had banned that, but on this one, they said no, he has Freedom the right. Speech. But after the show was aired and it demonstrated that it was full of hate and lies, the Supreme Court has said that there should be some sort of regulation, that you cannot allow this. And they have also commented on the nature of debates, the hate going around. And today the Indian Express has, 
you know, put up an edit saying, mm. sorry, your lordships, this mm. is basically saying that judges should not weigh in on this. The center has said that before we start regulating TV channels, we should regulate digital media because they have a further reach. I mean, like I said, this government has even stopped pretending to be sensible or not wanting to be hateful. They have said, fuck it, it works. You know, no one gives a shit. You can take your mask off and be as hateful as possible. So that's the context. I'd like to start with you, Raman. So where are you? Do you think no matter how hateful Chavanke is, judges and the court should not weigh in on what they can get away with and what they can't get away with? Should there be another regulatory framework? Of course, no one has said there already is a regulatory framework. Whether it works or not is a different matter. Where are you on this? Should the judges have stopped the airing of that show? Does it set a bad precedent? I did not see the show, but I did read the report. What, sir, what kind of a journalist are you? Uh, don't watch such I, no, I brilliant journalists. <laughs> I did not see his, uh, his show, but I, I did re- read the report uh, that we did on him. And uh, the report was just to say graphically... Just to say, Raman, sir... Tortures our wonderful colleagues. He made Ayush watch the show and write a report so that he can just read it. <laughs> so, so, but, but I had seen the promo. So the promo itself, uh, if you just look at the promo, promo is enough to put him under UAPA Act. He should be booked. This case was a, it was a criminal act. Because what they have booked Umar for is far yeah, less than this. It's the, the, less the, than that. The speeches that they claim or Pinjara told activist speeches are far less than what this guy look was saying. At, is look at the past six year history in the name of this freedom of speech. The way that this government has interpreted in the past six years, it varies. I mean, people who have not spoken anything, who had just a book on Marx in his, uh, you know, Bo- house. house yeah. He has been booked under Maoist. UAPA. Yeah, right. So he has been called Maoist and all. So they have no other... Uh, and they are behind the bar for the past two years. But do you think the court should step in and should it... I mean, does it set a bad precedent that uh, tomorrow then it could shut I down think, any I think the first and foremost, the police should step in. Hmm. If the police do not, the, the vigilant citizens, hmm. they had approached the court also. Hmm. Court had given a stay and the court should have taken... Uh, so you, you're saying... Even as a journalist, by what you saw in the promo, it was enough to was enough. ban him. It was uh, enough. Revati, uh, I don't know whether you've seen the promo, but if, in case you know what this guy is, you want to weigh in on this? Does it set a bad precedent and one, tomorrow? One more thing I want to add, that Ayush, uh, who has done this story, he has pointed out point by point. So I don't need to see that yeah. show. Point the by violations. point, he has shown the violations. Listed the violations ah, as per the current ah. IBNB So norms. take action. Yeah, Revati, go ahead. You know, uh, Abhinandan, I think what happens is on the in these conversations, we mix up uh, legal precedent with hate speech and uh, incitement to violence quite often. So incitement to violence in our courts is very clear that anything that incites violence, whether you say something on the street or uh, I go out there and incite a mob to do something or whether I do a show which has the same effect, the same law applies. Often when we use the you know legal precedent, uh, that's a that it becomes something that is that unfortunately plays into the hands of the administration because they use whatever legal precedent and distort it in whatever way they like. Section 377 was struck down, and then the uh, Solicitor General goes and tells the court, sorry, this is against our values. So, what kind of legal precedent? If I, if we're talking about legal precedents. Then legal precedents are jumped every hour depending on who's in court and who's playing out whose game. So that's very transparent and clear. Therefore, I don't think we should uh, decontextualize any of these conversations about what should be banned and should not be banned. When this book on the Delhi riots 
uh, purportedly presenting only a PR picture of the of the BJP and supposedly being inaugurated by Kapil Sharma was uh, uh, being um, uh, published and released. Then uh, uh, many of us raised raised, raised uh, our voices against it. But then there was also some amount of measure, which is correct to say, let the book be out instead of and and read it first before you criticize it. Otherwise, we are we are doing the same thing that we accuse the others of doing, of being intolerant without examining the evidence first. So that's correct. We should watch things before critiquing them. However, uh, if we know that something is in the space that is likely to incite mobs, like Kapil Sharma's speech, many of us still argue did do, uh, like this Sudarshan TV show uh, purportedly supposed to have done, I haven't seen it. The promo but, itself. You're saying yeah, the promo itself was not I haven't seen the promo either. But I'm saying that well, like the, the decision before anyone, an administration, a court, or people holding both of these two, two accounts should be, is something causing violence, not about whether there's a blanket uh, acceptance of all sorts of freedom or a blanket curbing of all sorts of freedom. Because Understood. blanket itself is in, in the realm of authoritarianism. Anything that is blanket is authoritarian. Anything that is context-based and fluid is the opposite of that. So I'd, I'd go with that. Uh, Abandika, what do, you, what do you think? Have you seen the promo? Have you seen the show? I haven't seen either either the program or the promo, but I completely agree. I completely agree with Revati. But do you know who Mr. Gubara Chwanke is? <laughs> Are you even that is something that you oh, have damn. been uh, protected from? No, no, I, I learned Revati's very recently. After this program, after the stories and all of that. I've also only very briefly Google and guilty of not knowing. So please educate. I, I will. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Avantika. You want to ex- elaborate? No. So I was just saying Revati has put it so beautifully. And I completely agree with her that, you know, there's there, there are once something like this happens. So, for example, I, I, let me take the example of the Prashant Bhushan case. It's not the one rupee. It's the precedence. So... Similarly, once you start this trend, anybody can feel affronted at anything we write. Somebody may say, you know, you are against Shivra Chauhan's milk idea for kids. So you're against Hinduism. So I'm upset. So I lodge a police complaint. It's, it's just endless. Somebody can just go to court and say this. So I think, yeah, I, I completely agree with what Revati said. So it has to be, huh? sorry, go ahead, sir. This, uh, the promo that I had seen, hmm. it falls in that category inciting violence right so so i also agree with that i mean yeah, but we, this one but you're saying this, this was this inciting was, violence it, it yes. had breached it that already completely breached it had completely breached that right and, and i think context is important not just in the sense of what that specific speech or promo or that piece of content is i think context also is a function of what is the prevailing kind of value system and what are the accepted or acceptable injustices? And I've discussed this earlier in the Hafta, um, you know, when I was in Germany for a program uh, on, on the media only, and there were a whole bunch of people, Dhanya was also there. And we had this dialogue with this MP from Liberal Democrat Party in Germany. And uh, it was about freedom of expression and stuff. And uh, they said, you know, our mandate is that there should be freedom of expression, especially for the media all over the world, which is why they organize these workshops and programs. Uh, I said, how do you resolve, you know, here, if I were just to do a Heil Hitler on the street, I could be arrested, right? I mean, forget hate speech, I can't even do that. And yet, you do want to champion, which is a good thing. 
you know, freedom of speech in all parts of the world. Not that I think that it should, it's a good thing to do that. But I was trying to understand how does one resolve these two things that, and what emerged was that some countries, a big injustice has happened, like in Rwanda. You know, it is against the law to ask whether you are a Hutu or a Tutsi. You cannot ask and you cannot tell. You can be jailed for that because of the horror that happened in the early 90s over there. And of course, what happened in Germany, everybody is aware of. So are you to wait for such an injustice mm -hmm. to criminalize such an activity or do you let such an activity go? Let something like what happened in Delhi happen all over the country and then say, now you can't do this. You get what I'm saying? It's a... It's a tough one. I, I don't think there are easy answers to that. But the prevailing environment in the country right now, I am rethinking my absolutism on freedom of speech because the kind of things that people find acceptable today shock me. I mean, I, I don't hold my punches. Jaggi has been a friend. Mm. You know, now he's the editorial director. So the kind of crap that he tweets and endorses. I mean, someone who, to me, you know, because, you know, I had spoken to a bunch of digital outfits and when that ban happened on that documentary film, I said we should all carry the same statement and everybody did News Minute, Scroll, Quint, everybody carried that same statement. He said, no, I think it's right what's happened with NDTV. And today he wants to champion freedom of speech. Hmm. Why? For a case like Chawanke. Sure. I mean, aapki kaisi freedom of speech ki revolutionary pan jaag gaya aise tutche aadmi ke liye jab sari zindagi aap chup rahe. So I think the existing value system has made me rethink what I thought of what should be allowed to be said. You know, all of this actually comes in a context. It's not just about media and freedom of speech. It comes down from the top. When ministers, very senior ministers, you know, say things which are very clearly against a particular community. You know, that when things like go to Pakistan and stuff like that are said. So that's where you set the tone of the conversation. That's where you set the tone of what is acceptable in public speech, in public discourse. And that's, I think, there are cues that are taken, which sort of come down. And then, I mean, obviously, there, there, there is media and there is media. So media freedom, it's, it's not something that can be seen in isolation right. or what is acceptable for media to say or not say. It's not something that's in isolation. Like, like you said, that the general prevailing atmosphere, it's, it's politicians say that because their constituencies buy it. Exactly. And it's acceptable. TV channels show this because TRPs, I mean, TR, yeah. the TRP numbers show that this sense. So it's, it's more than just what one channel is saying. It's more about the kind of vitiating atmosphere that has been created in the country over the years, very gradually, where this, this sort of thing is acceptable. It's not just acceptable, it's very saleable. Right. I, I want to come to Revati on this because she's somewhat of an expert on the subject. But before that, Raman, so you want to come in no, and say just, something? No, just I, I can recall one thing that he had said in the promo. Hmm. He said that, he, of course, he's, he's talked about Muslim in, infiltrating into uh, hmm. this IAS, IPS. Hmm. A jihadi aapka, aapka DM ban now there are laws hmm. which clearly I mean he should be under you so he had already breached the law he, in, that that was said in the promo in the promo itself now Rave you know you've written this book which was a very brave and daunting task and congratulations I don't know whether you spent a year or two years in Gujarat the anatomy of hate where you tried to and you spent some very turbulent times with um, you know people who did participate in the violence and in the plunder and rape and murder and you tried to kind of 
you know, from a very sympathetic view, try to understand the mindset of a person who does this, who himself is underprivileged, has been at the receiving end of an unjust society. And you actually wrote a book along those lines. I mean, so you must have got some sort of an insight into the psyche of the people who, I mean, before they go out and do that, they have to be convinced that doing that is okay. What do you get? I mean, what is the mindset? And is it contagious? And has it spread all over the country to people who have no reason to be to feel aggrieved or angered, uh, even, you know, even while they've lived very privileged lives, yet they, for some reason, think that it's okay to demonize other communities because they feel they've been shafted. Uh, how, how does that mind work? What did you find? So, uh, first, it wasn't a sympathetic look. It, it was just an unfairing, detailed, inside-out look. But what I found is that hate crimes, yes, they are contagious, and that contagion has spread much more than the pandemic. So we are much more afflicted by anti-Muslimness than by COVID. And if you were to do a meter on that, I'm sure if there was a way to gauge it, we'd have very, very shocking numbers. There'd be like 90, 90% of our, our population afflicted by that. But what I uh, also found was three things. Firstly, that these ideas and views are set in motion at various levels and it's not one thing, it's many things. So for one person, it could be coming from a background where your own identity is weak, your sense of self is very poor and you're looking to lean on a larger narrative and that larger narrative that presents itself in the absence of anything else happens to be Hindutva. And so you lean on that and you, instead of being pummeled by the uh, Muslims who tend to group easier in the village around you, now have the arm of the Bajrangdal, the DHP and their allied Gundas to be able to fight back. So you get real money, muscle power, political and social status immediately by joining this. So there are real benefits. So this, this is one set of people that, that benefit really. And we have to be able to imagine what that life is like before we diss it. Uh, we have we can't sit in our own comfortable cocoons and say how dare they live like that. Well, we we are not living in the kind of squalor, the kind of uh, emasculation that they live with. So we need to first feel our way through that before we point fingers at them. But how do you explain that that mindset when it afflicts people with privilege, with more that, privilege than you was, and I have that's seen? What, that's what I was coming to. That's one set. But at the other end, there are upper class upper class people who also have similar toxic views and xenophobic ideas of the world. And I, I would say that in my reading, uh, I think that money and privilege doesn't always equal inclusiveness and human rights. And that's because money and privilege sometimes sit alongside an aspirational mindset that can be present even in the richest. It can be present in the, the captains of industry. Uh, the new money idea of, of always feeling inadequate can just outlive your actually getting money for a very long time. So it will take a few generations for people with this new money to be comfortable in their skin. Being comfortable in your skin can outlive your poverty. You can be actually now lower middle class but have come from three generations of money and education and now have no money. And be living in squalor, but still be more comfortable in your skin than, say, an Ambani. So, uh, this literal application of mindset with class is something that we, as people studying this phenomenon, have to stop doing. But overall, 
uh, yes, hate is much more contagious than anything else. It is a much easier political tool to use than anything else, which is why it's being used. However, it is shifting sands, and that is a key thing. The minute other uh, more permanent ways of holding on to your identity and beefing up your identity are present, are usable, and are convertible into something real. Which means that if you can get your power, money, social status from something more permanent than the immediacy of hate, people do shift. And one of the principal characters in the book, who I've actually studied for 13 years before I wrote the book, uh, actually did do that. He went from being on the edge of the mob to a left liberal atheist. And his journey was very, very powerful. And that is the space I'm currently sitting in. I think what's important when we're looking at hate crimes, whether we're looking at the Delhi riots, whether we're looking at individual lynchings, whether we're looking at uh, just drawing room conversations in our midst that are toxic, I think uh, what I have basically found is that it is more productive to uh, A, change the narrative. Stop do it, Stop reacting to the existing narrative because that plays right into the hands of the power mongers at present, which is the present regime. Right, because clearly it is working for them and it has worked for them in the past yeah, you know, so the, several years. So the main years, thing sure. is create other identifiers, create other ways of looking at the world, create other ways of being. So for instance, in the place I'm located in, I'm asking myself, is it possible to create uh, another identity for this area that has seen uh, religious polarization? Is it possible for the other ways? Is, is, it, is it possible to look at this place as a place in, full of mango groves, as a place where the seventh dharana of Hindustani classical music exists? Can, I, can those become more powerful narratives? And how do you create, how do you make those things more powerful narratives so that people can hold on to them, find a means of livelihood through it, and therefore steer themselves away from identity politics. But the other concomitant question is that, you know, what happens often is that we, when we're talking about um, identity politics and, oh, so-and-so should be uh, put in jail for the hate speech and why is, why is the law not functioning, is that we are trying to look for answers in a reading-writing space in a largely non-reading-writing society. I think we've got to stop, as media people, we've got to stop looking literally at the written word and the law for answers. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't apply those, but I'm saying we have to dig much deeper. We've got to look at how people behave because the right wing is doing that. The right wing is the right wing makes a speech which is very thinly veiled hate speech and they get away with it because they know they can, because they know that their constituents have understood what they're really trying to say. Why are we playing back that literal by the book thing? Why aren't we also looking at the oral storytelling spaces, at sitting down and having conversations, at what we really mean rather than what we're saying. So I just, you know, wanted, uh, Abantika, I know you have to go. You said you have to go in 45 yes. minutes. So yes. on this, if you could just weigh in from your reporting experience, all that you've seen, what do you think of the psychology that kind of makes people endorse or shrug their shoulders at, you know, a mob lynching or something of the sort? Is it identity? And, you know, on a related topic, I think... What Revati said, politicians in UP have realized that that as long as they were doing the, they, they were reacting to the Muslim attacks by the BJP and Yogi government, they weren't getting traction. But now both Congress and our leaders have started saying that under this Thakur chief minister, the Brahmins are at risk. And that apparently is working better than the justice for Muslims, which is uh, interesting and I think a little unfortunate. But 
that that shifting of the identity does definitely work politically it's been shown but yeah bandika go ahead yeah so actually that exa- the up example and also in west bengal mamta banerjee just announced a dole for uh, brahmin purohits you know the priests like she had done for imams so it's the same same logic that's happening in west bengal as well but i think why people turn a blind eye is two three things a it's not happening to me my children are safe i'm not that from that community i'm from the right community and also somewhere which is which is very i mean it's it's very scary but among educated people among uh, among people who have who who have led like very good lives all their all their lives they kind of say yeah they deserve it so that i have never quite figured out why but it just it's it's just the way it is i don't know why that is maybe for for my community i mean for bengalis i see there are these you know very sort of festering wounds i don't know why they are still festering so many years later but there are wounds of partition and there's there's a bit of hidden anti muslim sort of thing because they did this to us at the time of partition but other than that i i i can't really i can't even understand that but yeah that that's that's how it is my theory is although my experience of the partition generation my grandmother and my parents are from that generation all my mother's tamil so they were not touched by partition but my dad was punjabi and he used to live in lahore and they came here and they lost a lot and but i always noticed that people who were directly impacted by partition who'd seen it up close were hardcore congress supporters and they hated the sangh but people who had only heard or observed the partition but not been directly impacted generally that that's my just personal observation of people who have dealt with like even when i came to college and i used to when i had just joined news track the people who really this is what they did partition i said was your family no but we've heard <laughs> but everybody whose family was actually impacted weren't that angry and they didn't want blood the way that but uh, you know uh, i think it's deeply personal like and there was a article that i've suggested in hafta you know many many months ago about the incels i think the atlantic or, or slate had carried an article about the involuntary celibates who tend to be flock to these uh, white supremacist kind of rallies and they have misogynist views it's i mean at least from many of the people who i have known well and observed you know people who were probably bullied or they didn't feel that they got the respect that they deserved in college they were not the popular ones and in some sense the incels and i i i use this you know word very carefully so, so i don't want it to sound like you know i'm one of those mean girls from those sitcoms and colleges but you know the, the people who were the losers who no one hang out with i've seen many of them suddenly get power and a voice and i think this is that time that they are sitting on panels and telling all those people oh you fuckers who used to treat us badly now see see the power i have and i think karnab is actually one of those i i think You're that is right. it uh, it comes from very personal I mean, space it doesn't come from an ideological space it comes from very personal it space comes that it's much I, much deeper than ideology and and you know revati i don't want to take names it would be unfair but many of the very well known political leaders you know who are there i have gone to school with them and i know the status that they had there and even today when they are in that same environment all this bombast goes they become that person you know we never outgrow that adolescent yeah. bullying that we felt they become and i'm like dude you know when you're on screen you're doing this here you don't even fucking dare to say a thing because all those five guys who bullied you back then still have that power over you mm. and i think yeah. it comes from a very deeply personal space and not ideological sorry uh, and that deeply personal space 
space is also mixed up with who has power at birth sometimes you know because people who are more comfortable in their skin sometimes are more comfortable in their skin because of the environment they've grown up in and therefore the corrective measures that we need to think about is how do you create those environments how are we then if we want this to stop how are we creating those ascending stairs going uh, into places like muzaffarnagar shamli parts of assam karnataka which is so full of hate uh, you know all of up haryana punjab why are we not being able to think structurally through this why are we being reactive we on the other side who do not like this politics of hate have to then come up with structural solutions which stem from putting back those building blocks that we know are not there right that very very well articulated so abantika uh, uh, you have to carry on so please give yes. us a recommendation and thank you for joining us what what would you recommend that would enrich the lives of our listeners Okay, so there's this book. I, I know uh, many of you must have already read it, but uh, it's one of my favorite books. It's it's called Factfulness. It's by Hans Rosling. So it basically teaches you to sort of see through the headlines. You know, so for example, when we say that India India has the most number of baby deaths in the world, what we don't say is how many baby deaths we have actually prevented. So what what the point he makes is that the world is now actually a better place than it was a hundred years ago, even though you feel the other way because of the way news is presented. And what this book did to me in a in a sort of lighter vein, I could never actually watch Pride and Prejudice after reading this book without thinking that these guys don't have running water. So right. so it's it's a very very interesting book. It's very nicely written, very nicely explained. It's a beautiful book. So I I I very strongly recommend the book. I see. So, uh, just before you go, you know, he had made TED Talks a household name when very few people used to listen to TED. Right. Many of his yeah. TED Talks, you know, went viral because his yeah. data visualization was so beautiful. And yeah. I, I saw his uh, presentation on the world has become more peaceful as opposed to more violent, even though what we get. Mm-hmm. And he sh- he uses only data. And while I really loved the man and his presentation, he was funny. He was his accent was just so interesting. I didn't. always agree with that particular presentation because i think because you know when you bung in two world wars i mean those are outlier events those yes. outlier events warp the statistics mm-hmm. i i you know so i didn't quite agree with his his reading of data was almost like a machine it was stripped of context and i think in most cases he was right and brilliant and he made us think things in a less obvious way and his genius was exactly that but i think in his later years you know shortly before he died i think he went too far on depending only on data i i know i just felt that and you know what you said npr has a very interesting podcast on today you are more comfortable in like a one bedroom apartment with plumbing even if you're middle class than you would be as a king 200 years ago right. because of yeah. stuff like running water plumbing air conditioning disease even if you were bloody akbar humayu queen elizabeth you know back then you'd be worried about smallpox ho jayega mujhe fever ho jayega mar jaunga now you have everything so even the life of a middle class person is better than the life of maharaja like 300 years ago so yeah that's that's interesting thanks so much abantika good luck uh, for your work uh, do check out the work at the print thank you for making the time to join us and uh, have a good day me. and Thanks. and check out the media rumble if you get the chance you register we have lots of very interesting panels and we have one on the ethics of the internet uh, in fact i am doing that i'm very excited i had heard this gentleman speak when i was at a conference in in morocco 
and he talks about how algorithms are not are, are not judgment free and he gave the example of uh, you know cars self driving cars because all the test cases were white uh, people who were used it hmm. would often not take into account a black passenger because that was not used as part of the learnings uh, and algorithms that when it went to create but very interesting so check it out uh, amanda have a nice day have a good weekend bye thank you bye okay guys before we move on i just want to read out a few more mails if you don't mind uh, this one is from shivansh singhal shivansh says dear nl team my name is shivansh singhal i have been a new zealand subscriber since march 2020 i'm a phd student at the national center for biological science bangalore i have some comments shivansh beta मेल्स लिखने के बजाय वैक्सीन निकालो बायोलॉजिकल साइंस में बैठे हो नो नो जस्ट जोकिंग ब्रो थैंक्स फॉर राइटिंग एंड यू से रिगार्डिंग द हफ्ता आई फील द एन एल टीम इज स्लाइटली बायस्ड अगेंस्ट द राइट विंग आई विन लिसन टू सम इंटरव्यूज दैट क्लियरली हैव इंटेलिजेंट ओपिनियन बट क्लियरली लीनिंग टू द राइट आई डोंट सी द एन एल पैनल ब्रिंगिंग अप दीज इंटेलिजेंट पॉइंट्स इन द राइट विंग दैट द राइट विंग मेक्स एज रेयर एज दे मे बी फॉर दैट रीजन आई फील द एन एल पैनल लीन्स लेफ्ट आई हैव अटैच सम लिंक्स टू दिज इंटरव्यूज टू हेल्प मेक माई पॉइंट The man in these videos, J. Sai Deepak, is a lawyer. He is clearly biased, but he gets a historical context in a way that seems legit. I have not heard these arguments anywhere else. Maybe because I am stuck in the social media bubble and my trouble and my YouTube suggestions are skewed. I would have liked to see these arguments being brought up in the NL Hafta because I expect you guys to be truly neutral. I am sorry if I sound upset. I just mean this as food for thought. I love what NL does, and I support you guys. I would suggest you call some people from ac- academia, such as professors and researchers, to discuss the nitty-gritty details of some topic like COVID-19, and to get a view of the bleeding edge of research on topics of public interest. Actually, Sagar, Hafta isn't the platform for that. Hafta is just a conversation between journalists. We have other podcasts and interviews with area experts here. The nuisance Manisha's is my favorite NL product. I don't have a TV, so I'm safe from Arnab and other toxic anchors. But I like to get that weekly gist of the bullshit that appears on TV because it gives me things to talk about when I call my mother. <laughs> Thank you for what you guys do. You are my main source of real news. I listen to your podcast all the time since I joined in March this year. I have a ton of content from before that I can now access. I'm saving up so I can contribute to the next NL Sena project as well. Regardless of my financial contribution, I would like to offer my help to NL in any way I can. Shivansh thank you so much you know when i get mails like this from people who are studying who are students and are still saving so that they can contribute to us i really feel uh, i i don't mean this in the amitabh bachchan accepting the filmfare award way but i truly feel blessed and i must tell you know when when we started news laundry in 2012 and i'm telling you other than two people who i presented to every single news professional or business professional or investor told me indians will not pay for news हम नहीं करेंगे कोई नहीं करेगा यू विल फोल्ड अप यू विल डाई नथिंग विल हैपन सो थैंक यू फॉर पीपल लाइक शिवानश एंड द अनोनमस विल आई नो हु शी इज बट द वन हु डेंट वॉन्ट अ नेम टोल्ड स्टूडेंट्स लाइक यू यंग पीपल लाइक यू आर पेइंग टू कीप न्यूज फ्री एंड इफ दैट स्टिल डजेंट शेम सम ऑफ द ओल्डर पीपल हु मेक एन ऑफ मनी आई कैन ओनली एज्यूम दे शुड जस्ट गेट द न्यूज दैट दे डिजर्व एंड दे शुड वॉच टाइम्स नाउ एंड अर्नब एंड जी दैन दिस मेल इज फ्रॉम उत्तम Hi I'm a new subscriber says Uttam I wholeheartedly support independent media that's why I have subscribed recently you people were discussing many aspects about Islam and searching for rational voices who can pinpoint the problems of Islam for this I would like to recommend two three rational voices from the Muslim community who called themselves ex Muslims because they have left Islam and now are leading a free life Hari Sultan an ex Muslim from Pakistan currently residing in Australia his command over science and religion will make discussions more interesting and you have given the link to his youtube channel then galib kamal 
one of the great minds coming from Pakistan. He has great authority over science and Islamic text. You have linked his channel. And Spartacus, an ex-Muslim, though we don't know his actual name for security reasons, he has been persecuted in the name of blasphemy law. He has great command over Islamic texts. Hope you find it interesting. So thank you, yeah, for this, Uttam. I hope um, some of these links will be useful to listeners of the Hafta. Now let's get back to the discussion. And this time it is around what is happening in Delhi. So you just tell me about this Delhi case. You know, the police is doing. Now you have, I think amongst journalists in India, probably amongst the most experienced uh, with the police, you've done some mm. fantastic, The famously the caged parrot CBS story was your story. Many of you who listen to Hafta may not know that, but Raman sir was the architect of that story. And you have covered crime and the police beat for much of your younger reporting life. How does something like this happen? An 11,000 page charge sheet, uh, Omar Khalid arrested. 17,000. 17,000, sorry. Omar Khalid arrested on the basis of a speech where he is saying that we will not follow violence. And uh, police, Mr. Ribeiro, he was the commissioner of police in Delhi? What was he? Uh, Ribeiro, who's written no, that no, letter? No, he was Punjab DGP, Bombay DG, uh, Maharashtra DGP. Oh, I see. So he's held very... So he's written a letter. If you could just give us the context, what has happened with this case? And you've you've got a lot of experience. Will it be thrown out in court? And by then, what will happen to all these people who've been arrested? I happen to know this uh, police commissioner. Uh, he was DCP in Delhi when I was, uh, I think, uh, metro editor with the pioneer now he's the interim police commissioner he is not the appointed police okay. commissioner i was given this conspiracy theory at that time complete mindset and how did they go they 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 said there were 23 protests happening in delhi so they have you're saying they have decided they the had, outcome there was the a mindset, mindset is yes. and now they just want to get evidences to confirm ha, that ha, theory of theirs when this police commissioner uh, was, I think, heading the special cell or somewhere, and he he handled that uh, cricket batting case too, where, where this uh, South Indian yeah, cricketer, Shishant, mm. he fixed him. He was also arrested. Mm. He was at that time also the charge sheet ran into thousands of pages. So Shrikan, the court has already thrown out his case. Okay, so I am just giving you the background how things work in Delhi Police. Now this. There was a mindset. I can very clearly see it. And the story is very simple conspiracy uh, mindset. So what is the conspiracy? That these guys were doing protests? No, no I tell you. The conspiracy is, they said in entire Delhi, there were 23 protests happening. All these 23 protests were happening in the Muslim places. The locals were peaceful, but there were outsiders who were coming, like Umar uh, like like the other politicians. So they're saying the local wale the colony, they, they were oh, peaceful protesters, oh, but these guys haan, infiltrated haan. and made it violent. They, they, they came and they started setting the tone of the protests. So, oh, so they're also not saying that they directly indulge in violence. No, they started setting the bhadkoin. tone of the protests. So when the Trump was coming in, so that is when they decided the conspiracy began that when Trump comes in, we will do chakka jam and Hence the violence. So then, then this chakayam resulted into a violence. So this is their theory. And they, are, they what they are saying that they have, see the 17,000 pages of uh, charge sheet, only 2,000 pages are uh, the, uh, you know, where, where, where the police is alleging. The rest of the pages are the annexures. And what are those annexures? WhatsApp conversations. Ah, WhatsApp mm. conversation between the locals where, where this 
topmost cop told me that the 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 locals are telling the these outsiders who are coming labor activists or say for example omar mm-hmm. and anybody so so when there 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 is a heated argument and on on the whatsapp between the two the locals are not so much interested in chakka jam huh, because they that may result into violence but these outsiders they imposed that chakka jam on them so they are trying to fix all these uh, you know basically the the activists faces. so revati you have covered uh, you were in gujarat in 2002 or after that because i remember you were reporting out of gujarat for a while i was ntv's gujarat correspondent the year after the riots in the year in that year is the year when this whole thing of Uh, alleged assassination attempts against modi and various muslims being arrested and then later found dead like yes. mr jahan case and all of those Correct. started to emerge in that year so that is a tried and tested formula that we can definitely draw the dots back from umar khalid to that sort of seems like an establishment formula so just so that i understand this correctly what you're saying is even back then although the riot was there was enough evidence even of journalists of enough hindu mobs going at muslims even then the investigation suggested that this was engineered by muslims is that right is that what the police investigation there also kind of was coming up with police investigation into the riots at that point of time didn't have much political currency even though the nda government was in power at the center because the national mood and the international mood was against what happened in 2002 in gujarat but modi and shah learned their lessons from them in media from that uh, very quickly in media management which they have perfected and they managed to overturn so what i'm saying is the year after the riots what happened was the media was fed stories which a lot of the client soon to become client media swallowed whole uh was that there were all these assassination attempts on the prime minister uh, sorry on the chief minister of gujarat based on the fact that uh, there had been uh, communal violence in previous year and that therefore these muslims are responsible it was a retaliation against the riots and that therefore therefore they were killed in various encounters this story of uh, creating an enemy and then spinning stories post facto about what the case should look like and in fact many police officers that have now some of whom have claimed that they they have they were the original uh, you know present in a meeting in which modi discussed uh, how the mobs should not uh, should stand back and all those allegations were made by police officers who themselves were actually modi's men to begin with that's why they were senior police officers and right. so they were pliant and then they kind of this whole formula of having your people in place and then having them cook the books and reward them substantially and then then you and they are in the know of things and so therefore they will never mess with you and you will never mess with them were things that were tried tested perfected at that point of time this is a this is a this is a hypothesis many of us arrived at there's no way we can prove it but it seems to make sense from a logical standpoint as methodology if you want to join the dots back between why the cops uh, can cook a 17000 page charge sheet which is basically gobbledygook it makes no sense it's like saying the sun is black and then everything is manufactured to prove it and then everyone standing there saying no but it looks yellow to me you are put in jail for saying it so but although uh, rana's book in some detail had what revti talked about with names and specific dates of conversations yeah. she had but raman sir you were saying no no the, uh, the further 
you know, narrative of this conspiracy, the Delhi police thing, is that again the which is going to come out in all these charge sheets that this chakka jam led to violence and first against the police and then they killed Hindus. The Muslims killed Hindus. They killed 13 Hindu. In retaliation, Hindus killed 40, That's 40 Muslims. So this is the narrative. This is the full narrative. And uh, you also spoke about uh, whether the judiciary is going to throw out. Mm-hmm. It has already begun. So, so Pinjara told people they have got bail. Right. Okay, so people are getting bail in this conspiracy theory. Another part of the mindset is there were 753 or 754 FIRs in this case. 753 were with the crime branch and the only FIR which is the conspiracy theory which they had to, mm. was with this special branch. So, so and the, what's the difference in the two? The, the difference between the two, the crime, uh, the, the special branch was exclusively, normally you get uh, the crime branch, if, uh, all the uh, cases are given to crime branch. Special branch is the UAPA, deals with the UAPA Act and they deal with the terrorism okay, kind okay. of activity. So, so, so the special branch was given specifically this conspiracy, to build this conspiracy theory. And the crime so there branch was a mindset. And and you will see the judiciary, uh, if all goes well, mm. is going to throw this case. I mean, although there are some rumblings that one hears about the Supreme Court, but we'll come to that hopefully in the next half or two. Now, some more emails. Thank you so much. We are getting more and more emails every every week. I think we'll actually have to take that suggestion by the earlier subscriber and have a separate podcast of only the emails. Shahala has written again. Shahala, as you remember, had written a piece for us on, on period leave. She's just written this to make the limited point. That Zomato's period leave policy, you know, being complete bullshit, quote unquote, that how many women do they employ? So she is copy pasting the section below, which is that she says, let's begin with Zomato's gender ratio. As per the last available data out of Zomato's 700 employees, almost half are women. That sounds good on paper and on social media progressive campaigns. But it doesn't take long to get disappointed when you find that the human resource department has 100% women and technology and innovation has barely 5%. So basically it's IIT is, you know, 10 to 1 male, female. So you've go, gone on to kind of talk about how women in the Indian labor force is plummeting, but the participation, you've given some data on that. So you can check out Shahala's email on where we publish all the emails. This email is by Shubang Gautam. Hi, Abhinandan, sir. Well, nobody's called me sir in a while. But thank you, Shubang. I've been a subscriber since March. The work you guys do is inspiring to say the least. As per your request, I will keep my thoughts within 400 words. I'm a mass comm student, technically should have graduated in 2020, but COVID had other plans. My question to your panel, how is a budding journalist supposed to navigate his or her way through an industry without selling their soul in the process? Sorry for the filmy expression, but seriously, most organizations are go the media and that betrays the very essence of the fourth estate. Theory papers may to hum lick kar aaj aate hain, keeping our government in check, blah, blah. But how often does that practically happen? I know the newsroom type idealistic scenario to sirf HBO ke serial mein hoga, but I'm certainly interested in the advice you have for someone who intends to put his socio-political bias aside when it comes to the profession. Any advice is appreciated. Shupang, I really feel for your generation, yeah, because you know, my generation didn't have to navigate such a difficult terrain and we really had it easy in that sense. Because my advice to you is it doesn't matter what organization you work for in your first job. Who are you reporting to and who is your ultimate boss? is what should determine your choice in your first job. Because your first job will shape your outlook, 
your attitude and your entire philosophical take towards your profession and if your first boss is a horrible toxic person who is peddling in fake news or doing really nasty things professionally either you will become like that and you will think that is normal and even if you don't become like that you will think that is normal so you will be on that spectrum or you will get completely disillusioned with the profession and just take up something else having wasted many years of your life although i believe no year is wasted as long as you've learned something so i will just say that even if you are working for a very small outfit or if you are working for someone who is in an organization which is let's say horrible like i for example think as an organization reliance stands for everything that is wrong with this country but if some small company of reliance i don't know if that ad agency is still around they had an agency called mudra so even if it's a larger company let's take facebook which has done so much or google if that unit that you're working for do a thorough check of that boss speak to people speak about what that person's attitude towards their job is and just go by who are you reporting to that person's influence will determine how your professional life turns out i was very very fortunate and blessed to have madhu trehan as my first boss and others who i reported to okay this subscriber he doesn't want me to say his name so i will address him by his his initials er er says a bit of criticism and some support directed at anand v Anand's views on debauchery deserve criticism as they reflect an anachronistic view. I understand where he's coming from, but who are he and I to decide what constitutes debauchery and why should we impose our views on others? This is personal for me as Indian Catholics are stereotyped as hedonistic and debauched people. We smoke, drink, party, interact across genders and generally enjoy life. A regressive, straight-jacketed conformist society like India sees us as debauchers. Yeah, you know, you're so right. I've discussed in a podcast, I think, in Awful and Awesome that in the 70s and 80s whenever they wanted to show a girl who like is wears short skirts and drinks and is loose outside marriage she'd always be called julie or bobby or you know she'd be uh, and her father would be a drunkard who'd be singing on the beach it was a very catholic you're right anyway you go on to say am i committing debauchery for smoking marijuana in canada a country with the wisdom to legalize the plant instead of wasting state resources on potheads also the people who Anand was accusing of debauchery were they alcoholics what constitutes excessive alcohol consumption anand no role model should be emulated in their entirety i also dislike anand's tendency to not take a stand and simply claim to put his faith in the law anand should be intimately familiar with how india law enforcement works you simply cannot put your faith in a system that puts murderers and rapists in positions of power and one where evidence has a tendency to vanish i am also disappointed that he refuses to empathize with riyas which hunt and his failure to simply acknowledge that the riya kangana issue is political vendetta and a clear misuse of state machinery a defense of anand let him speak his cadence is slower than most but although i sometimes struggle to follow his ideas let him finish don't pounce off him with counter questions criticism of abhinandan dhafta really needs someone to keep track of what the question asked was and whether it was answered or not the idea of hafta as a free flowing discussion is well and good but a basic structure where question and answers are completed would make it better okay er thank you for your mail i appreciate your advice and inputs i shall share these with anand and i hope you enjoy your life of moderate drinking and merry making not too much then tanvi has written hi y'all so i'm guessing tanvi is a millennial just a quick word to say that while i appreciate the variety the variant opinion on nl regulars i do think anand can sometimes be extremely dismissive and rude especially towards manisha one doesn't have to wander too far to discover why that is while i have my opinions on the value or necessity or a, of a conservative voice you all know best what you want from your platform 
However, since your entire debate rests on civil discussion, it might be worth your time to check your colleague. You do not have to read this email out loud since my intent is not to embarrass anyone. Too late, Tanvi. I already read out loud. But uh, sure, I agree we should be polite to each other. Although I'm not sure I'm always polite. But yes, it is something worth aspiring for. Now, I have emails, lots more. And I'll tell you who all have written these mails. Gurpreet, you have written a 580 word mail. It is exceeding the word limit. He says, I forgive my verbosity. He has a complaint that our sports podcast was discontinued. Well, we will probably be starting another, but not immediately. Uh, I think Aditya, you're already uh, in talks with someone. There are two subscribers who, as soon as we finish Media Rumble, and they are subscribers who wrote in and said, we'll do your sports podcast. So we'll probably collaborate with them and start that. And um, then there are so many other mails. There's one by Animesh Sharma, who has said wonderful things. And thank you so much for that. There's Abhishek Savant. Hello team, kudos to the concept of paying to keep news free. There is Rujuta Deshpande, uh, a software engineer, and she's been a subscriber for four years. And you have given some suggestions that we should have some more pro-BJP voices because all of us seem to anti-BJP and you have given some advice, uh, some suggestions like Shadri Chari, Geeta Bhatt, Advocate Kohli. Uh, like I said, you know, we want, you know, journalists on this panel. We have other shows and interviews with party spokespersons. But we shall try to find more right-wing voices. And uh, she says, please get Madhu back once in a while. We will, Rujuta Pakka. Madhu is very seriously quarantining herself these days. But we will get her back. And Manoj Durairaj has written uh, that, Thank you, You're doing a great job in creating wonderful content on NL. I'm writing this after reading that Omar Khalid was arrested. I've always felt threatened with this present regime, but haven't felt this low. I would like to ask the panel... What is in store for the country? Where are we progressing? I read a book on the Rwanda genocide and the present situation looks very much like we are inching towards that. Call me pessimistic, but the way minorities are treated doesn't look promising. The entire setup is so reminiscent of the Rwandan radio who made constant effort to spread hatred against the Tutsi tribe. The way the INB ministry allowed Sudarshan TV to go ahead with the UPSC Jihad show and the way our media is trying hard with every single incident to target the minorities. Do you think we are seeing a Rwandan radio kind of setup here? Or do you think we are a much more mature society? Also, I was a regular consumer of news laundry and bam, the mobile appeared, disappeared. Well, the app disappeared actually two years ago. We had taken it down because we weren't being able to keep up technologically. But as soon as our new uh, website is up, the app will be also be up shortly after that. I will be telling you more about that. But uh, Manoj, my view is, uh, and I've written this, I think, and I've articulated this in a few haftas. I think we are, as far as the media role is concerned, already at the point where Rwanda Radio was. Uh, we are not very far from that. Whether we move beyond that, I hate to say this, but we'll have to wait and see. I hope we don't. But no, as a society, I won't say we are more mature than the Rwandan society was. The kind of things that get a free pass are shocking. And uh, I agree with you. It's a very worrying time for all of us, especially in the news media, because what our colleagues and former you know, friends are doing, I, I'm shocked and amazed uh, that such stuff can still happen. But on that note, I'd like to ask uh, Revati for her uh, recommendations and um, thank her for taking the time. Rev, uh, you've done very brave work all your life and you still continue to stay safe, work uh, safely there in UP. Yesterday, one journalist was beaten up near Shamli. Who was that, Rev? I don't know who was beaten up near Shamli. Not near Shamli, one of the other districts. I think it was Shamli district, UP, UP uh, this News 18. 
news 18 for journalists for what for it was on i don't know the reason is not still clear still not clear i see uh, there was a video about it i'm surprised gross ka mamla hai yahan to acha chalo but uh, i'm my my the, the way i'm keeping safe is to eat very good food i'm living in an area which is uh, full of the best kebabs and biryani and haleem my landlord is a biryani maker so i'm in uh, lala land Uh, that's my best protection against covid uh, toxic politics everything food and my recommendation is uh, a book by the historian richard eaton called india in the persian at age uh, okay. it is an antidote to everything that has been spun about uh, medieval india because what richard eaton says is that you cannot look at the period between 800 ad and 1650 or 1700 ad as a muslim period you have to look at it as a persian at culture intersecting with the sanskrit sanskritic culture the persianate culture harks back to uh, a cosmopolitan uh, persian culture that included under it many different religions even in persia where it came to india from and the sanskritic culture also included within it many different religions uh, not just hinduism and many animistic forms of worship so the intersection of these two produced a very fluid uh constantly back and forth kind of thing and in his introductory chapter he says the year that what we know as uh, the destruction of the somnath temple a chola king went northwards and attacked a temple in orissa and destroyed much more however we only know the somnath story because we're projecting our present politics backwards and that tells you the story of what we're doing wrong and what needs to be righted and this book is an absolutely fantastic journey through everything we know from how the rajputs acquired power to uh, what happened to tribals to the premakyas and sanskrit texts which were given um, great play and uh, fostered by uh, persian courts by uh, by uh, akbar jahangir shah jahan so it's very important if we want to understand why Agra is not about Shivaji, for instance, and why uh, our twelve thousand year history is not what the Sangh is trying to project it for the Ministry of Culture that they're trying to now. Then Richard Eaton is your answer. Thank you for that recommendation. Uh, and Ramansi, you said that Saharanpur, that case was Saharanpur. Ah, Saharanpur. Ah, so yes. Shamli is near Shamli, I think. Okay. Yeah, so, an hour away. Uh, uh. So anyway, Rave, you take care. Thank, thank you, you thank for your you. time. You, you guys do the same. News laundry is also at the forefront of all of this. I will log into the media rumble. Okay, look forward to it. Bye bye. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye. Right, so what is your recommendation for this hafta? There's a there's a documentary on the Netflix, The Social Dilemma. This uh, is uh, you know if you really want to know how technology accentuates uh, you know all the vices that we have today, uh, the polarization, the hate hate speed, so I think this is the must watch. Okay. And my recommendation for the week is actually one is this podcast from my favorite podcast channel called Planet Money. It's called Wasteland, and it was a real eye opener. And I'm shocked that it had to take 2020 for that eye opener. That basically what it says is that recycling of plastic is a myth. Plastic cannot be recycled in any viable way, so it's not being recycled. Oh. Not even 10% of the plastic has been recycled. And this green triangle that you see on plastics that you use was just a marketing gimmick. put out by the plastic and the petroleum lobby and it is such a fascinating listen that even now the way to end plastic pollution is to stop using plastic because recycling is still not viable and they are saying it will probably never be viable so you have to find a replacement and can you imagine all this time you know i assume that plastic is recycled can be recycled it missing no it's just a fraction of it is but by and large no 
that that was one and the second uh, is harsh mandar's piece in the indian express i think it's a must read and an important read because i have never been so worried on basic civil liberties and rights in india as i am now and i don't think now it's paranoia or overreaction i think what we are seeing around us it could be anyone next it could be anyone anyone and, anyone. and on that note i'd like to again uh, recommend the media rumble by the time this podcast is out two days of the media rumble will already have passed but you still have saturday and sunday uh, so i would recommend many sessions and the ones that you couldn't attend live and could not log in to and ask questions they're all up on the media rumble website do check out the media rumble website do check out the media rumble youtube page we have some fantastic conversations and hopefully next year the media rumble will be back as a physical event and really i hope the social distancing thing just goes man you cannot live life socially distancing yourself on that note enjoy your weekend and i leave you with this song which i hope will make you think when the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see no i won't be afraid oh i won't be afraid just as long as you stand stand by me so darling All the news laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please